listening to the Legendary Wrestling Obsession Podcast with your hosts, Corey Draper and Jeff Hughes. What a bastard! Didn't know what happened to him there. My word, Anderson can't believe that he's beside himself with anger. And Tully Blanchard is beside himself almost unconscious. Good down-home cheating. Good down-home good down cheating. Sure. All right, welcome back to the second half. We're ready to get into it. We're ready to get to that Saturday night's main event number two. But first, we like to take a pause so we can correct ourselves and anything we might have said wrong that we can figure out and just give some more details. Uh, so one of the things we talked about was Antonio Inoki because we were talking about Hogan's Japan dates and Jeff was sort of going on about what a big figure he was. And he's right. He was this sort of national hero in a way who was more than just wrestling. Politics? He definitely, at the end of his, his, his career, yeah, he was in the, I believe it's the Council of something. It's <laughs> They have different uh, hi, terms than we do, but... Uh, hi, Samurai. <laughs> hi, Samurai, yes. But I did look into some of his other accomplishments. So he was not like an Olympic athlete and wasn't actually didn't have any black belts. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> but but he had a lot of other accomplishments, so he was the first... Uh, <laughs> You're very kind of saying, Jeff was right. Jeff was right in, in, his, in his wrongness. <laughs> so his, uh, he was the first IW GP champion. He was as a as a you know high school athlete. Uh, he did win some big national titles or something. Oh, and well shot that's what I meant. And yeah, discus. High school there discus. Everybody knows he was the high school <laughs> discus champ. This is neat. I, I I really didn't know about this one. So he has an unrecognized WWWF heavyweight title run. So in November twenty nine. Pardon me. November nineteen seventy nine. I think it's like November thirtieth. He beats Bob Backlund. And then in a rematch, December 6th, he loses to Backlund, but they overturn it. But the but he refuses to he refuses to take this overturned you know victory and basically vac- vacates the title. But the in you know in America they don't recognize it's one of these like this happens to Flair a few times when he's got his championships where he has these like he drops the belt to somebody and wins it back the same weekend. And you know as far as like the NWA is concerned, it never happened. But like you know, but it happened. Well, Hogan. That's right with Bockwinkle, where Hogan beats him for the belt, but then... Sort of. Maybe a little bit different, because it's kind of like, it's back in that time, it was like, well, we're in another country, nobody's going to know, you know, like, uh, as right. opposed to within the same territory. Like, when, right. when you're doing the Hogan-Bockwinkle thing, it's still the AWA. Yeah. Still, how exciting for those fans who actually thought Hogan was the champ, and he That's walked right. out with the belt, instead of that same night taking away the dream. <laughs> so he's also the uh, he's also the headliner for these two infamous cards in North Korea. Dark Side of the Ring did an episode on this, and it's been talked about a lot. So there's these, these like, 195,000 fans that were, you know, essentially, <laughs> in some ways, forced to be there, I believe. It was oh, kind of, like, mandatory yeah. attendance. Nice. <laughs> and uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff from that. But anyways, he's, he's you know, he does, he can say he was the headliner of the... Uh, uh, you know, the, the biggest cards in the history of the world. So that's, and then, yeah, he's a house, house of counselors is a, he's got a few different terms, let's say, uh, as a, as in his politician and yeah, very famous, the Muhammad Ali stuff. So yeah, Anoki, super important in wrestling, super famous. Nikolai Volkov, we talked about him and Jeff was discussing his earlier time and seeing him in the seventies and what he looked like. So his initial character in the WWWF in 1970 and 71 was part of the Mongols tag team and he was Beppo Mongol and they were WWWF tag team champions. Now he is actually from Europe, isn't he? Uh, yes. He's, he's like Eastern European. He's not quite Russian, but he's near, he's near there. Okay. Um, and 
Uh, so he does, at the end of this title reign, he does switch his name to Volkov and becomes a singles wrestler. And basically, he also does a period from in, between, in 1976. He wrestles as the third member, a masked executioner with... And the team is John Studd, Killer Kowalski, and Nikolai, and Nikolai Volkov are under these masks as the executioners. And they're the tag champs. They get stripped of the title for having, like, the, the Freebird thing happening and, like, the, the cheating going on. So they, they get stripped of their titles. That and I saw cool. some footage of him. And, yeah, he looks, you know, you recognize him, especially the Beppo Mongol. He's kind of got the, I don't know how the proper terminology for the hairstyle is, where he's got his head shaved, except for he's got, like, the bit of hair on the back peak of his head, you know, like. And, yeah, he's wrestling Bruno. And this is, again, back when Bruno's, like, 280 pounds and, and Volkov's clearly a lot bigger than him. And he actually wins the match by count out. The, the, the old black and white, this old, it's not black and white, it's color, but it's, you know, it's almost black. And it's like, it's that really kind of, you know, drowned out kind of color. So it's dulled. But yeah, that's some neat stuff about Volkov back in the day. Uh, I love it. He's awesome. So I had mentioned this uh, Pro Wrestling Illustrated poster, but I was really hedging my bets and I didn't want to be wrong. So I said nothing. But uh, I had a pretty good idea. It was three guys on the poster. I did commit to Rick Martel because I knew that much, but it was also Hogan as WWF champ and Ric Flair as NWA champ. Woo! <laughs> and the dream match was actually supposed to be around Robin, so there would be six matches altogether. And they had a whole bunch of other really interesting fantasy matches on this poster. <laughs> so we've talked about Pro Wrestling Illustrated, not at length. I imagine we will at some point, you know, have a deep dive. We'll, we'll go find an old issue. Yeah, for sure. We, we definitely, uh, um, what do you want to call it? Like we, we, we fanboy all over it in our, in our bonus episodes, for sure. <laughs> right. So um, I'm, I, I had this. I owned this. In. It's funny. I thought when you saw the, the poster, I thought it was going to be a three-way dance, you know, like instead of the round robin, you know. Like. You would think that would be the case. But no, it was a world title round robin tournament. And uh, Rick Martel versus Ric Flair versus Hulk Hogan. What a great picture. To decide the undisputed champion of the world. What's cool is that uh, ultimately... One of the people who has the best claim to an undisputed championship would be Winnipeg's own Chris Jericho. That's like, right. <laughs> how amazing how Winnipeg is the center of the wrestling world. <laughs> For five seconds here and there. Yeah. But anyway, let's look at some of these other... Uh, on the poster, there's Tito Santana, but uh, in a smaller... Cover. I don't think he's really part of that. Oh, you're right. Yeah, but this was a poster, a special, yeah, special. publication that was, was... So they're... Anyway, listen to these other fantasy matches, some of which... May have even happened. Anyway, so they imagined the fabulous Freebirds versus the Rock and Roll Express. Express, and in that case, that would be two on two. So somebody would be outside the ring. So That's in right. my fantasy match, you'd have Buddy Roberts outside the <laughs> ring. You'd have the yeah. There's certainly a lot of Rock and Roll Express versus Michael Hayes and Jim. You know, uh, Jim Garvin. I but I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't want to put myself out there and say that there wasn't a Rock and Roll Express versus, let's say, Hayes and Gordy, because, I mean, there's just so much stuff that, w that happened <laughs> that we never saw. Then they have the Battle of the Warriors, if you will. They, uh, Kerry Von Eric used to call himself the Modern Day Warrior. Yeah. And his brother, Kerry Von Eric, I actually preferred his matches Kevin, when I... Kevin Von Eric. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, okay, so there's lots of Von Erics. But uh, I liked Kevin Von Eric as far as the uh, in-ring wrestling style. He was my favorite of the Von Eric brothers. But So one of these fantasy matches is the Road Warriors versus Kerry and Kevin Von Eric. Mm. And the last one worth mentioning 
is kind of similar to something we've been talking about a lot, which, which, which is the U.S. Express. So this one has the U.S. Express, Barry Windham, and Mike Rotundo versus Nikita Koloff and Ivan Koloff. And Nikita was red hot at this time, so yeah. that was a pretty exciting fantasy match. Russians versus the Americans. Yes. So um, that's what I was kind of hedging around earlier in this episode or no that was from episode one where i talked about this poster yeah i knew that i knew hogan was the champ and then i was like well i'd have to look at the dates because flair you know, he does have a couple of lose the title gets it back situations so you you know you have to be a little bit more familiar with the exact dates of those things to know whether he was the champ but pretty good chance that it would be flair because he mainly was the champ during that time okay moving on in the correction section here almost almost done wrapping it up so when we were talking about greg valentine and sort of whether was the NWA, the peak of Greg Valentine, or was this early WWF the peak of Greg Valentine? And maybe it was fairly similar. And I, you know, I, th- I think it's that's a it's a fairly you know fair statement to say that those things are both true. You know that, uh, but looking at what he did, you know, accomplish in his career, he had uh, he was two time World NWA Tag Team Champions as well as he had a Mid uh, Atlantic Tag Team Championship that was all done with Flair, and he also was the NWA Mid Atlantic Champion like as a singles wrestler. And that was during one stretch of his NWA stuff. He went away. He came to the WWF. He had some matches against Bob Backlund, things like that. He went back to the NWA. And this is some of the stuff that we're a bit more familiar with. He had another title run with Flair. He also had the U.S. title two times. So he was like, you know, he had multiple championships. So he he had a few more championships held throughout his career in the NWA than he did the WWF. He also had a really famous feud with Wahoo over that U.S. title and that what led to the, you know, the shirts, the I Broke Wahoo's Leg stuff, and uh, that was pretty neat. With Ric Flair, when we look at his tag team championships, Jeff did mention that Flair and Steamboat were tag team champions, which is not correct. Uh, they were never uh, they were never tag champs together. Uh, but Flair did have title runs as a tag team cha- champion with Rip Hawk, I don't even know who that is, with Greg Valentine, obviously, and with John Studd and... Blackjack Mulligan. So he had multiple different titles that way. And when I looked into Hogan, we were kind of correct in assuming he didn't really have any tag team titles. And I'm not talking about like, you know, yeah, he was a tag team champion with Edge in like whatever year that was. I'm talking like pre the end of WCW. If you look at Hogan's original, you know, career, um, he didn't have any tag team championships. He did have some tournament wins. Him and Inoki won like some kind of tag team tournament in Japan or something, but you know, it wasn't for a belt or anything. So yeah, well, uh, I believe that was the Olympic black medal. That's right, <laughs> black belt. That's right, dude. gold medal black belt. Gold medal black belt Olympics. That's right. <laughs> that's where Noki won it all. Oh, I misstated. And that's how he became president of Japan. <laughs> I did misstate the date of when I said that there was an announcement about the trade between Bobby Heenan and Jimmy Hart for the wrestlers. So it was actually September twenty first was the date of the show where Jesse first mentions on air this trade. I had said it was the end of the summer, so. How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> well, another quick correction is regards to the Hulk Hogan rock and wrestling cartoon. Jeff, I think you found something in the listings with uh, some characters, important characters we missed. There are two notable names that we neglected to add, add to the roster. Hillbilly Jim and Mr. Fuji. Wow. Yeah, they're important. I, now I can just totally picture in my head, there's the scene in the opening where Piper and his heel buddies corner Hogan in his vehicle, and as they approach the vehicle all menacingly, all of a sudden, all of Hogan's friends pop up out of the car, <laughs> and one of them's Hillbilly Jim. I can totally picture that. I think another funny thing we forgot to mention is the fact that all the good guy wrestlers, including Wendy Richter, live in the same house. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's your ideal Saturday morning, That's right. you know, fantasy land. That's right. Everyone just lives together. And Andre's usually usually in a suit. Hogan's That's in right. wrestling gear, but right. Andre's in a jacket and pants. That's right. Yeah. Andre's never looking ready to wrestle. That's good. Okay, let's hear those NBC chimes and let's get going with Saturday night's main event. Ladies and gentlemen, we may be on the brink of an international crisis. Earlier on, Hulk Hogan had told me that after his title defense tonight, the Soviet flag will never fly in arenas here in the United States, Nikolai Volkov. Tonight, I will beat, I will beat Hogan for the title and I will take belt back to Russia. And then, if I have a war come between those two countries, I will have no guilty conscience push the missile button to destroy you all. All right, your thoughts on this, Brett Blassie? Beware, my fellow Americans. This man always means what he says. Get ready, Hulk Hogan, to meet Nikolai Volkov for the World Heavyweight Championship. You know something? I want all my fellow Americans out there to rest easy, brother, because the Hulkster's here. As far as that no-good Russian Nikolai Volkov goes, he's no threat to me, and he's no threat to America. I don't want you to get me wrong because the Hulkster's red hot about this situation. The way that Russian goes all around the country waving that Russian flag in front of all, young, all of our young Americans, that just gets me red hot. I got one promise for you. After tonight, after Hulkamania runs wild, there's only going to be one flag waving in this country. That's the red, white, and the blue just for you. So that's the international situation, ladies and gentlemen, but right now on the domestic front. With the last minute check of the reception area, getting ready for the first network television wedding since Tiny Tim and Miss Vicky back in 1969 are the nervous groom and his best man, Uncle Elmer and Hillbilly Jim. Hillbilly, are all the plans in order for tonight? Oh, we hope so, because Uncle Elmer's got a big night ahead of him. First, he's going to wrestle, then he's going to get married, and afterwards, we're going to have a big down-home reception. <laughs> It sounds like a lot of fun. Uncle Albert, you a little bit nervous right now? Gene, I'm a man on a mission of love, I tell you. <laughs> what, what, what is this? Hey. In grazing again, Uncle Albert, mission of love. If you were on a mission, you would be the launching pad, brother. Take a look at this guy. You think she's getting any kind of bargain basement here? Look at this fella. What do you think is going to marry him? I saw a pig run through here. I never know that. So we get what's starting to become a more what we would expect with Saturday's main event opening, which is the intro has a few more uh, promos and the real highlights. More of the wrestlers are actually going to be on the card. The very first Saturday's main event really only focused on the two matches and really only focused on the heroes. Uh, whereas this one, we're getting to see, uh, you know, we're getting to see images of multiple different wrestlers who are going to appear on the show on the show. And again, we, you know, because it's been the the editing's happening, so we don't get at, we don't get our animation obsession. We get the uh, the second Saturday's main event theme, which is uh, you know acceptable to me. Not and... to me. <laughs> I have a strategy, and from now on, what I do is I open up the YouTube channel and I mute the <laughs> wrestling soundtrack, and I and I crank the music that I remember hearing that I want to hear yeah. and uh, I have a lot more fun and so I uh, press play and I watch the video on mute so that I don't have to listen to the <laughs> 
Well, Corey has a soft spot for it. I don't hate it. I just want to hear Animotion. So I, I listen yeah. to Animotion, and uh, it's much more fun for me. Yeah. So, you know, we get in, Jesse and McMahon do their usual setup. They hype up the matches that are going to be coming up and what we're going to see. We've got a, a live wedding for the first time in decades and uh, other shenanigans that are going to be happening. And, of course, we're going to start off, as we said, mostly the main events, quote-unquote main events, happen right at the beginning. So we're going to be starting out hot with a Hulk Hogan title defense against Nikolai Volkov. And that takes us to that nice interview spot with Mean Gene, with Freddie Blassie and Volkov. And they're there, you know, talking about how they're going to be winning the title and, and all this stuff. It's, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty straightforward stuff, but there was one really good comedy gold moment. Well, Nikolai Volkov apparently will feel no guilty conscience about the push the button and destroy all of America. <laughs> he, he threatens World War Three, and uh, yeah. Well, I also love the way he says, I take belt back to Russia. I take the belt. That's the one I remember, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then uh, after threatening to destroy Western civilization with a nuclear attack, Fred Bra- Blassie says, this man means what he says. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He will push the button. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people who talk about how bad they're going to beat you up, but yeah, yeah. Nikolai Volkov will <laughs> nuke your world. <laughs> yeah. Now it's like a Terminator 3 plot or something. And yeah. Nikolai Volkov is going to destroy the world. So, so Hogan, before the match and after the match, we get a lot of Hogan at the opening of this whole show. And, uh, you know, he basically is threatening Volkov, saying that he's not going to allow. This, you know, Russian national anthem anymore. This isn't going to be a thing and you know, and all that. So it's quite funny because, of course, once Volkov gets in the ring, <laughs> he does his anthem, of course. And so then we head back to the Mean Gene spot and he's with Hogan. And Mean Gene asks him, what about, you know, what about it? He just sang his anthem and Hogan's all mad. <laughs> and he's going he's gonna to stand up for America and take it to him. And he's holding an American flag himself, which he doesn't always do. But in this case, he's really doing the super patriot, you know, uh, America versus Russia. I'd have to go look. I think '84 was in Rocky. Th- uh, Four came out with like you know the you know the you know obviously that it was just that point in the mid '80s where there was a ton of like patriotism, like really over the top, like people were really proud to be Americans and the hate of the you know international heels. And of course, Russia at that point, the Cold War, Russia. You know there was no bigger villain than Russia. The USSR. Yeah. And uh, quite so. Now, Hogan had really been um, so important to the whole Orndorff and Piper angle that I, I kind of felt at the time a little bit that uh, this was thrown together together, and no build for this, just built only, only building on the pop culture U.S. versus USSR and not building on weeks of interviews and setups and, you know, like they're doing the the perfect job if uh every time i say perfect i think kern had in anyway but they do the perfect job of of drawing out orton versus piper um and this hogan versus nikolai volkov is kind of like well well people get it you know we don't need to yeah i mean there's definitely house show matches but he has house show matches against lots of guys we did hear in the first half the radio clip for the house show king of the ring where he has a title defense and that is a sort of a high profile match but it's not televised it's not on something that you could like you know see so again it's kind of like jeff says for the majority of the people People were coming in kind of cold. And it's just that idea that, hey, he's a foreign heel, so, you know, mm-hmm. Hogan must vanquish. Right. So that's good enough for this booking. Uh, 
But uh, the actual match is uh, better than I thought it well, would be. Well, one thing I want to touch on is when it's coming in. So we know that they're they're altering the the audio, and I don't, you know, I wasn't even sure the first time I watched this in you know a really long time. Is he's not coming into Real American? Hulk Hogan's coming to the ring with this sort of, uh, and I forget, I'm, I apologize, I don't know the proper name, but I mean, everyone knows the tune. It's sort of this American military march, you know, you know, whatever it is, right? And uh, I think we're all familiar with that, and it's they're really playing that up. So he's coming out as kind of flag versus flag. It's a, it's not technically a flag match, but it kind of feels like it is because they're both, you know, brandishing their 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 banners. Well, the Russian villain has uh, got a lot. Uh, of history in professional wrestling, and uh, this might be the peak of it uh, for the WWF, uh, because you know when I think about most of Hogan's angles, uh, this this moves aside pretty quickly. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so we we get uh, like Hogan's in the white. He has a different look. We love it. It's like you know he's in the white trunks. He's got white knee pads and boots. You know this isn't the red and yellow. He does wear red and yellow during this period, but he wears everything. You know, he could wear a red shirt or a black shirt or a blue shirt. It's a, it's kind of neat. I really prefer it. You know that he has like he has his branding, or but sometimes it doesn't say Hulkamania. Sometimes it says Made in America, or sometimes it says something else. So I just like the idea that he's not like just this carbon cutout of like a, a toy or something that we not to, yet. That's right. <laughs> So Hogan gets in the ring, and it's not too long before we get a sneak attack by Volkov. Yeah. Uh, good match. Yeah. Um, Hogan lets Volkov uh, throw him around. Yes. And, uh, and Volkov is strong. Yeah, he's very strong. He, I always said his stuff, you know, because he's a, he's a safe wrestler, so he's not out there, like, potatoing people, as they like to say. Mm. So um, it doesn't always look like the most coordinated or that he's hitting the hardest. But yeah, he's definitely, you can see that he's a very strong man and that he probably, if he wanted to hurt you, that, uh, yeah, probably look a little different. Uh, so yeah, he's using the shirt to choke Hogan. He's, you know, getting in all these kicks and boots and, you know, putting Hogan down and, uh, he's cutting Hogan off. Hogan, you know, Hogan is coming back at times, but Volkov usually manages to, you know, get a shot in to like get it back out, um, so there is a point where Hogan does this big comeback with like a really big clothesline, and then he uh, there's a you know there's headbutts from Hogan. And I don't remember seeing you know Hogan would do headbutts sometimes, but not super super often. And uh, there's a there's a point where he does like a really you know he whips Volkov off the ropes and does the big boot, and that sends Nikolai over the top rope. <laughs> and then Hogan goes after him, but he ends up you know the reversal happens, so Hogan ends up eating the steel post on the outside. So basically, we get near the end of the match, and Volkov's you know back on top here, and we see what's you know Volkov's version of a press slam. So it's, it's his backbreaker. So Volkov would sort of do it different than other people would press. So mostly people, when they do a press slam, they get their hands underneath, and you know their their palms are to the sky, and they're pushing up. Of course, the person's posting up with their arm to help them out, and you know that's where you get that press slam. Volkov's is a little different. He like he kind of cups the guy by his throat, so he's really kind of choking him, and then he gr- he reaches up and grabs the back of their tights. And he's lifting them as instead of pushing them. So, and what that ends up meaning is that the guy doesn't end up getting as high up in the air. So it doesn't look. I, I always found Volkov's "quote unquote" press slam never looked as impressive because of the the style he was doing. But because it's Hogan and he's lifting him above his head, that's you know it's pretty impressive. Warrior was really not really able to press slam Hogan. He tried. He couldn't really do it. You know, Volkov does a much better job. There's a lot of other guys out there that could do. You know, would have a better press slam. But the press slam is always just such a. Awesome move. It's a, yeah, it's... Okay, let's go down this road. I wasn't going to, but let's do it. I love the press slams. One of my favorite things. So who's your who's your favorite? Like, who's the guy that does the best press slam? Uh, probably Hawk. 
Yeah, I've seen a lot of people say that because Hawk when Hawk does it, he gives a couple of you know gives a couple of pumps <laughs> and he gets the guy up there, gives him a couple of pumps. Yeah, and it shows off his physique so yeah. well. Yeah, and uh, you know, Animal had a good press slam. Luger had a great press slam. Sting had a good press slam. So I've heard it said, and I'll, I'll, th- I'll give a shout out here to the Laps fan. We you know heard them talk about this. It's not who gives the press slam; it's who takes the press press slam. Oh, I don't know. That's a different <laughs> Ric Flair. Because ah. <laughs> like, you have all these images in your head of like who's the best press slam. Well, it's right. the guy. It's the guy that like you know it's Ric Flair taking all those slams. You know, but for me, for my money, the best press slam, Davy Boy Smith. Ah, uh, I thought you might say that. Yeah, yeah. He he's his is awesome, you know. Like, we'll, we'll touch it when we see it. It's it's so great. He can just and the the, the way he can do it to people. I've seen a match in Japan where you know he press slammed Terry Gordy, and wow. it was just like so impressive, you know. Like and I've seen a couple of other Doctor Death press slam Terry Gordy. Like so Terry Gordy is like as big as he is. He's somehow able to like help them. I guess like he's able to like hold himself up enough to you know give them that extra boost because the guy's three hundred pounds. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I love the press slam. So Volkov gets this press into the knee, into the backbreaker, and goes for the pin. And well, we we know the title didn't change, so we know that uh, we know it didn't it didn't work. Yeah, it's funny because actually he doesn't slam the guy; they just presses them, and then it was a backbreaker, backbreaker to the yeah. side, though. Yeah. But unlike unlike what we would see out of Hogan, it's not this like you know huge kick out Hulk up you know finish. It's a weak it's a weak kick out. You know he 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 barely gets out of it, and. Uh, then Nikolai Volkov attempts a pile driver, <laughs> and uh, yes, Hogan backdrops him. him out of it, and uh, basically Volkov's remaining on the offense. Hogan's trying to get away from him and kind of you know get it, get it, get things going, and Hogan hulk, hulks up and starts going at Volkov. But when he goes to whip him, Volkov reverses it, so he reverses Hogan to the corner, and he comes charging in, and Hogan steps out of the way and lets Volkov crash into the corner, and he hits the ground, and Hogan bounces off the ropes, big leg drop, and the one two. Three, and it's a clean win for the champion. Yeah, and it just it gets there a different way. That's what I like about this era. It's not like there isn't this cookie cutter like paint by numbers how to how to end the match. It happens out of a different way. Yeah, which I think is why I appreciated it more. Yeah, appreciated. And, and then Hogan gets on with destroying the Russian flag. <laughs> yeah, Jesse's playing a great sort of like civil liberties you know association like hey this is disgusting the man just wants to respect his country and hogan's you know <laughs> you know shining his boots with it i think yeah he does a few things yeah he rips he breaks the pole he he's trying to rip it i think he might give it the snot thing you know he's, he's wiping his nose and then he's shining his shoes with it and jesse's very upset that he's like yeah. you know disrespecting the flag by shining his shoes with it but uh yeah it's pretty it's 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 pretty funny so they go to commercial they come back we get more hogan the talk quickly turns to the wedding, because Hogan's going to be a part of this wedding party, and, uh, you know, so we, but again, like, there's, so there's a lot of Hogan here, we get, like, you know, he gets the pre-roll, he gets the interview before the match, he has the match, he has an interview after the match, and he's not done for the night, you know, we're going to see him a few more times. We've come a long way from uh, the brawl for it all, <laughs> where it was like, Hogan wrestled, but didn't even make it to TV, <laughs> and now there's no trace of rock and roll, you know, and they went, Patriot, uh, Patriotic angle instead of uh, rock and wrestling. Yeah. So that gives us uh, an interview segment coming up with Mean Gene and the Hillbillies. The pre-match interview where Uncle Elmer is making his debut wrestling appearance. So, right, Mean Gene's uh, got the aisle to the ring behind him again. And uh, Hillbilly Jim, unfortunately, uh, doesn't cut a very good promo. No. He... he, he uh, 
doesn't even seem to respond to whatever it is that Mean Gene's trying to prompt. And uh, it's over quickly, mercifully. That's um, right. And uh, Uncle Elmer, his whole kind of shtick is, you know, the soft-spoken giant. So they usually don't ask him to say much. He just kind of, oh, oh, yep. It's pull. I don't know. Does he even say much more than that? I'm not sure. He, he gets some. He gets his words out, but he's he's quiet and he's not like, yeah. He doesn't he doesn't go on. He's he's a man of few words. <laughs> yes, and of course, uh, Mean Gene's like, it's a busy night for you, Uncle Elmer. First a wrestling match, and then a wedding, and. They don't get much from the hillbillies. And <laughs> unfortunately, we once again fall victim to um, different music. Hillbilly Jim had an awesome theme song. Uh, really cool banjo picking four square hoedown. It was a great song. Don't yeah. go missing with the country boy. You know, that came out on the wrestling album. So I wonder, you know, but I guess some of the stuff that was on the wrestling album was already being used before the wrestling album. So I don't know the chronology, you know, like in the order of how things came out, if it was already in play or not yet. So, mm. but they, like you said, they, if, if they didn't have anything, then they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have inserted fake music. So they're only inserting fake music to replace the music. So probably that probably is the case. Well, three hillbillies make their way down to the ring to this canned elevator, generic, <laughs> awful music. Um, except for once again, I went and looked up the YouTube hillbilly gym theme, which is a really fun, silly, but uh, great. And here's some further evidence to, as I listened to it, uh, the song that I imagined, you know, and wanted to be <laughs> what they came to the ring to. Uh, Hillbilly Jim does a lot of clapping to yeah. Cousin Luke's, uh, you know. Dancing. Yeah, he's jigging, you know, he's moving his feet a lot, <laughs> keeping his, his hands and arms are mostly just keeping his balance. And uh, the music that I went and looked up on YouTube fit perfectly with Hillbilly's clapping the way he was yeah. encouraging. So I, I, was, I, I hope so. Yeah, but I really enjoyed the program a lot more by going and listening to the Hillbilly Jim theme song, and that really took me back to my memories. Yeah, for sure. That that watered down track that was on the WWE Network. Yeah. So they they get to the ring, and we we see a not super impressive looking jobber. (laughs) This guy is no Duke of Dorchester, I say. Give me Pete Doherty. So we get the the big city slicker, gentleman Jerry Valent. Right, Valiant. Well, Valiant. well, we know of uh, Boogie Woogie Man. Yep. That's Jimmy Valiant. Yep. And then we know Johnny V. Luscious Johnny Valiant. Yep. Johnny Valiant, who actually, I, I, I do like him in the ring. Like, yeah, yeah. We, we hopefully get to see him on Saturday Night's Main Event in the ring, but he's <laughs> he's got great vocalization and selling Johnny V. So tell me a bit about the Valiant Okay, family. so yeah, I had to look it up because I wasn't 100% sure, but sure enough. So he is a Canadian wrestler, John Hill, who was a storyline brother of Johnny and Jimmy Valiant. And in 1979, he was WWF tag champ with Johnny. And this is when Jimmy was out with hepatitis. <laughs> a, free, a free bird situation. <laughs> Three Valiant brothers. That's right. Yeah, were so any of them literally related? Um, We'd have to look it up. I, I don't know if Johnny and Jimmy were. I, I don't know if that's kayfabe or if that's a real thing. Right. Um, we uh, eventually hope that uh, we're going to have a Crockett Cup episode where we talk about Boogie Woogie Jimmy Valiant. That's right. And his, uh, he did have a special appeal. He seemed to really connect to fans. Yeah, it didn't make sense to us at the time, but, you know, it's... Uh, it's uh, He's got a lot of energy. He's really right. in it, committed. Yeah. And uh, anyway, 
Yeah. Valiant. Okay, so. so well, just one second. I thought yeah. I'd pause because when I looked at the names, I was like, I had to look up Uncle Elmer because it was like, oh, is, is, was Uncle Elmer as tall as John Studd? And they're actually both listed at 6'10". So they're apparently the same size. Big men, big men. But <laughs> Uncle Elmer has the most ridiculous list of like ring names. I don't think there's anybody else in the business has had as many names as Uncle Elmer. So just bear with me. So I think it's, uh, yeah, this is alphabetical. But uh, A-Team, Big Tex. Congorilla, Congorilla. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Cowboy Fraser. So his real last name is Fraser. Ed Younger, Farm Boy Boy Fraser, <laughs> Farmer Boy Fraser. Pardon me. Giant Fraser, Giant Hillbilly, Hillbilly Elmer, Kamala Two. <laughs> oh, wow, Kamala Two. Uh, I can't even say this properly. Pascagouli Plowboy, <laughs> Plowboy Fraser. Plowboy Fraser again. I don't know why they're listed twice. I, oh no, pardon me. Playboy Fraser. Plowboy Fraser. <laughs> Tex Fraser. <laughs> the convict. The country plowboy. The giant rebel. Tiny Fraser. Tiny the plowboy. The lone ranger. <laughs> Uncle Elmer and Lieutenant Fraser. <laughs> Oh my God, that is, a, <laughs> Jesus, he must have wrestled for 10 years just to be able to make an appearance under each of these persona. This is hilarious. Yeah. We won't That's get hilarious. into his background, but I, I don't think, uh, uh, I think he's the uncrowned champion of, uh, of ring personas. Yeah. I wonder where he wrestled. Oh, it's, it's on there. Yeah. He, he continued to wrestle until his, his death and, um, but yeah, we'll, we'll touch on that later. But anyways, so back to this, uh, this match. <laughs> Well, if you thought the S.D. Jones versus King Kong Bundy at WrestleMania was fast, brother, you ain't seen nothing yet. So um, this match is over before it barely... They spend more time dancing than they do wrestling, (laughs) that's for sure, in the opening. So Jerry Valiant essentially just runs up into the body slam clutch position. He launches himself into Elmer's arms and... Elmer obligingly. Elmer hasn't even left his corner. That's right. The other hillbillies have just stepped out, and Jerry Valiant, you know, pulls one of these, I'll get the upper hand, get him quick. (laughs) So Uncle Elmer slams him and then kind of gets down on his knees, covers him, and he's just so big and heavy that Valiant... Tries to kick out, but his he can't. Legs, his legs are going, but yeah, he's yeah. Not, nothing's happening. He's just, uh, Uncle Elmer's too heavy to be uh, kicked out <laughs> of the pin, and it's over. And they come back in, and there's more jigging from Cousin Luke and yeah. Hillbilly and Jim. And they, they, they even show a replay of the uh, Bundy, like the WrestleMania one. Oh, yeah. And to show that one, because that one's nine seconds. So this is like, this is reportedly a new record of six seconds for Uncle Elmer. And they show the Bundy one, and I'm like, okay, I'll count. And it's like, they say the Bundy one's nine seconds. It's at least fifteen. Like, because yeah. he like he he nails SG in the corner, but then he backs up and waits for SD to get up, and it takes quite a while for SD to stand up again. And then he splashes him again in the corner, and then he bounces off the rope and splashes him on the ground, and then he pins him. So it's like it's you know, they did they do a poor job of trying to make their nine seconds. It's like misinformation. That's right. So you get a post-match interview with uh, Gene and the Hillbillies, and uh, the only thing I thought was kind of funny out of it is Mean Gene says something about the match, and Uncle Elmer, in his hard-to-understand voice, says, well, boy shouldn't have taken off his jacket if he wasn't going to stick around. <laughs> Good stuff. Yeah. All right, and then we go to commercial, and when we come back, it's going to be a body shop with Jesse Ventura. 
All right, gentlemen, I thank you very much. I'll tell you, Uncle Albert, that was some kind of a world record you just set. One of the quickest in all history. He knew, hey, you know what? He shouldn't have never took that gum coat off if he wasn't planning on staying. All right, you set one record. Yeah, is he going to set another record tonight? So the next segment is a body shop with Jesse the Body Ventura, and he's got some dumbbells and some uh, workout bench equipment in the ring. And he looks absolutely crazy, but his guest is Bobby the Brain Heenan, <laughs> who's got a really nice black sequin jacket, and uh, he's got a briefcase full of cashola. But G- <laughs> but Jesse looks just oh man, his outfit's so crazy. It's a, he's got like this hot pink um, shawl that kind of makes him look like an overgrown Santa's elf on crack, or <laughs> just like <laughs> yeah, he's, a, I say. <laughs> It's the uh, Wizards of Walmart. <laughs> right, yeah. You know, like, does that kind of look like he, he looks like some kind of, you know. Yeah, he looks so crazy. <laughs> he's got, I think, a tuxedo shirt underneath that, and uh, he's got a, a weird sort of sock toque, which is color, he's color-coordinated as yes. it goes, like purple and mauve and tie-dyed pants and <laughs> crazy sunglasses and Same. typical it's classic jesse he looks great and also i like i said this is how he looked in the awa but way amped up because yeah, yeah i don't think he ever quite looked this ridiculous in the yeah. AWA. <laughs> well i mean he's got so many costume pieces because he doesn't <laughs> yeah. have to remove them to wrestle that's right yeah so it's great <laughs> and so that we're, we're catching up with the orton well i shouldn't say orton it's he's you know there but piper orndorff is what I'm trying to say. Every time yeah. I say Orndorff, I sometimes flub and say Orton. I want to be the lazy man and say Orton. Fewer <laughs> syllables. That's what. Come on, give me a break. All right. So Jesse the Body is recounting how recently Bobby the Brain got fired um, on national TV. Yeah. Well, actually, I wait. We should reiterate that we don't get to see the firing exactly. on TV. Couldn't find but it. This but is national Heenan, TV. Com- yeah. I mean, Heenan tells. Roddy Piper that he's been fired, we covered earlier. Yeah. So Jesse's going over this, which you'll have uh, heard, hopefully, earlier in the episode, it's, which is gold. Go watch it for sure. The one where Heenan first. Unfortunately, they don't compare this body shop and that Piper's pit. Oh, no. You know, yeah. they're just like, they're not in the same league, unfortunately, you know, because Jesse is an amazing talent. He it's is, just... but I don't think the body shop ever stood up to Piper's pit in any way. <laughs> no. That's a, yeah. Well, I'm Piper, just I'm beginning to feel he's a once in a lifetime talent. That's right. Anyway, so we learn that, uh, yeah, we, we cover, uh, they go over that, and he says, I, That's right, that happens to me, that happened to me, and now I want him out of wrestling. And so he's doubled the bounty from 25000 to 50000 because it's hard to get anybody to do anything anymore for $25,000 <laughs> in life. In and 1985. That, yeah. Um, and, but we had some impressive attempts, as we already covered, to collect A.J. Petruzzi. That's right. Almost took the money. <laughs> and anyway, so he's doubled the bounty, and we're building heat for the upcoming match. Well, what stood out to you in this body shop? Yeah, I mean they're pretty straightforward. <laughs> it's just there's a weird noise happening in the background in the crowd. Oh. Like you know, it's kind of annoying. I didn't even really notice it the first time. Yeah. The second time, all of a sudden, I was like, "What the hell is that? Someone has some kind of a horn or a oh, whistle or I don't know what it yeah, is." Yeah, but... an air horn that was just terrible. Yeah. And I think, and they were yeah. trying to throw Heenan off. I think Heenan wasn't very good. I think that I think it threw him off that Maybe, horn. Yeah. Because you know Heenan was amazing on Piper's Pit, and he was very tame here. Yeah, that's right. 
oh, I wish we could have like shoved that air horn up that person's ass. Yeah. So the at the closing, the the thing I thought was pretty funny is Jesse asks him if he has any words for Mister Wonderful, and he, Heenan's <laughs> like, "Well, he's not a very smart man, but if he had any brains and he could use them properly, your best bet, Orndorff, is to throw your shoes and, and trunks in the ring and retire." <laughs> Gold. Yeah. Well, I guess actually silver. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Absolutely. But anyway, the, it, they certainly are putting in the screen time to build Piper and Orndorff. Yeah, and it helps to set up the next match on the card, which we will call the unofficial main event. Absolutely. And could use them properly. Your best bet, Orndorff, is to throw your shoes into the ring, throw your trunk, and retire. Thank you, Bobby Heenan. My pleasure. The pleasure was yours. That's the body shot. Okay, after all of this, we're finally getting to the uh, fallout from WrestleMania, you know, and even the MTV uh, rock and roll specials prior to that a bit, because all of that, you know, it really, Hogan is, is wrestling Volkov, which is not so much related to any of those things. No, not so much. But this match, I would argue. Yeah, we've been hot on the trail of this match all summer long leading into this, you know, yeah. into the show. Absolutely. So finally, no tag team partners and no, well, Arnold Schwarzenegger's out there. Maybe right. he's going <laughs> to like, get involved. But even even Cowboy Bob doesn't come out. So we got yeah. like, you know. And we laugh, but why not? Mr. Yeah. That's how Mr. T was. He was he was there as a, uh, to watch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, honestly, getting a look at Arnie, you would oh, think. Are you kidding me? Arnold in 1985 probably would have been a better uh, partner for Hogan than oh, Mr. T was. Wow. <laughs> for sure. Imagine that double bicep shot. Hogan, tag me in. <laughs> Yeah, that's fun. So Orndorff, you know, he he's in with the Giants as far as promos go. Yeah. And, I mean, he's fantastic. He's he's Mr. Wonderful. That's right. But, and, of course, we loved his interview with Cal Rudman, <laughs> uh, but that's in the future. So yeah. that, check out our Patreon bonus material. And, the Paul uh, Orndorff episode, really. Yeah. yeah. We, we get into some wonderful worship. And that's, that's right. how we discovered Cal Rudman as well. So yeah. this is a, a world away from Cal Rudman interviewing on Orndorp. It's yeah. Mean Gene yep. in that position that you said is so cool where you can see the aisle to the yeah. ring behind him. And, and we the, think the crowd can hear, though. Yeah, it's it's not clear to me. This time I'm not as sure, but I, yeah. I, was, I was convinced that the crowd could hear Hogan before he wrestled Orton in the last episode. Yeah, the, fir- the first episode. Because yeah. there are pops, it yeah. seems like. Or was that this episode? When no, I think, I think it was both, really. Mm. I think when he threatened Volkov, you get a pop out of the crowd okay, as well. Okay, then. Yeah. Okay, right. Yeah. So we're watching a lot of wrestling these days. <laughs> <laughs> it's all blurring together. That's right. So Orndorp does his best. This is a shouty, you know. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, the crowds out there, it's like showtime. It's not TV studios. So Orndorp, <laughs> I'm not crazy about it because he's, you know, a lot of it, he's making fun of Piper for the kilt. So Yeah, it's, that's, we, that, that stuff, especially now, this comes across as weak. Absolutely. However, he's in his his kind of a Popeye face and to me, <laughs> one eye squinting closed, and he's yeah. making these crazy grimaces. Yeah, the and, veins in his neck are just bulging, yeah. and he's just ready to burst. <laughs> yeah, and his intensity is awesome. Yeah, and uh, a uh, mean Gene thinks, "What do you think he's going to spend it on, Mister Wonderful?" <laughs> the bounty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the fifty thousand dollars. Well, here's one thing. Actually, I did think was weird. Orndorff is so jacked up that he says. 
Bobby Heenan, this is all your fault. And I'm like, Bobby Heenan had nothing. Bobby Heenan had anything to do with WrestleMania. <laughs> no, or, but I mean, like the idea that that people would want to continue to come after him for the the bounty. I guess. Yeah, kind yeah. of. For me, not. Uh, it's like he's trying to stitch it together. Maybe. I don't yeah, know. yeah. To me, that's that. Uh, anyway, I, I don't know. I, yeah. I, I didn't see that as a particularly uh, salient comment. But I mean, who cares? Because yeah, he doesn't, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. But Mean Gene says, "Well, maybe he's gonna spend the money on plumbing and Piper Mansion." <laughs> Piper Manor. <laughs> yeah, Piper Manor. And I uh, do love the way that uh, Orndo's like, plumbing, plumbing. <laughs> and Mean Gene looks like he's been, you know, almost smacked in the face because uh, he's so close and so intense. And he's, <laughs> yeah, that's right. he's ready to get in the ring. So what? Well, I don't know. Maybe it's going to be uh, plumbing, more plumbing. Plumbing. Yeah, what? For the Piper Manor. Plumbing. Well, let me tell you, Piper, the only thing you know about plumbing is when you used to skin bath for Rotor Rooter. How about that, boy? I thank you very much. I'm ready for it. Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. It's a question that this man is physically ready, but mentally with that $50,000 bounty, I really don't know. Now, as always, the answer will be found in the ring. So uh, that was a good promo. Yeah. And And uh, he gets his entrance. Yeah. And now here's the interesting thing is that, um, well, of course, as we know... um, he doesn't have any music. Nope. But he gets. Out. He's like, I want Piper. I want Piper. Yeah, in the, in the, but he does camera. have a really nice robe, mm-hmm. his ring robe. Uh, so after his entrance, we have Piper, who uh, kind of looks a bit, you know, like sanguine. He's kind of relaxed looking. Yeah, a little bit. It's, yeah. It's really actually so crazy. You know, over the top Orndorff and sort of a relaxed looking Piper. You know, yeah, hey, yeah. Well, you know, I'm just going to care in the world. <laughs> yeah. So he starts at zero, you know, but we know where he's going. <laughs> That's right. And we know that Mean Gene can hear Vince because Vince says, oh, maybe Heenan's going to stiff Piper for the bounty. That's right. And Gene <laughs> comes in saying, hey, Vince McMahon is pointing out that Bobby Heenan doesn't always pay. <laughs> and so Piper is like, oh, well, I'll rip his throat out too. Look, I didn't come here for the 50000 And he, he just, he's great. And yeah. uh, by the end of it, he's threatening Heenan's grandmother. That's I'll, right. go, <laughs> I'll go get it from your grandma. You don't pay me the 50 grand. Yeah, that's right. I don't need to put baby oil. Look good. And he's... Um, I'm pretending I'm tough. I know I'm tough. Yeah. Yeah, he was great. And then he gets a fantastic... Ring entrance with bagpipers, but right. they they couldn't find any Scottish bagpipers, <laughs> so they got the Emerald Society, and it's awesome. Yeah. Uh, but they're wearing green, and so yeah. I'm uh, I have no idea actually where they're from. I'm just horsing yeah. around. It seems a little Irish, but anyway, it's great. The bagpipers and yeah, uh, the refs ha- having to hold uh, Orndorff back. Because as Piper's even just getting near the ring, like Orndorff's ready to dive out of the ring on him and stuff like that. And you can see the, the, the referees like bear yeah. hugging him. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, following the bagpipers, there's Heenan. That's right. With the briefcase. That's for everyone to remember. Hey, look yeah. at this case. Look, I got this money. That's right. He's like, hey, Piper, Piper, look at this. He's waving <laughs> over uh, stacks of cash. That's right. And then they're going to go to commercial. And then we're going to come back and see a fight. Piper Vince McMahon was quick to point out. That Bobby Heaton has not always paid off on his bounty. Your thoughts on that? Simple as this. Thoughts on it. If you don't pay me the 50 grand, I'll rip Bobby Heaton's throat out too. I come here to get 50 grand. I come here to get rid of some guy that's got baby oil all over him who's sitting here trying to look pretty. I don't need to put baby oil on me to look pretty. I don't need to tell you how tough I am. You know how tough I am. You don't want to give me the 50 grand. I'll collect it from your grandmother if I have to collect it from her. So the real main event begins, and it is a brawl. <laughs> These guys are uh, both wearing pretty similar 
Yeah, it's like the double blue. <laughs> yeah. But Paul Warndorf has the stitching on the back of his trunks. That's wonderful. Yes, but the number one instead of the of uh, writing. So uh, as Corey has said, it is a brawl, and these guys just want to uh, hurt each other. And uh, a lot of fists, and um, Orndorff allows Piper to sort of take an early lead. Yeah. But it swings back and forth. That's right. And some of the early, like moments it looks a little bit more like a real fight it doesn't look like a wrestling match because like they kind of charge at each other in a way that you would in a real fight like mm-hmm. they're kind of like you know they end up on the ground rolling around with each other but i mean that moment where they charged at each other i think one of them misread what was going on but it it results in something that looks very real absolutely well and so it should after all this build-up like awesome yeah. build-up and uh, they spill out of the ring and alas no microphone cable choking as i'd <laughs> imagined in my youth and they get back in the ring. But there is, there is a big swing of a chair that, that oh, yeah. nearly misses. <laughs> and a Over heavy chair, of, yeah. not one of the chairs that uh, was regularly uh, successful, you know, right. in later WWE years. Yeah. Um, this chair has a, a whole bunch of padding, so it's, you know, three times the weight of these other, you know, yeah. folding steel chairs. And uh, fortunately, it doesn't hurt or it doesn't hit anybody and doesn't hurt anybody. Uh, Orndorff does get back in the ring, though, in style. <laughs> he climbs up to the top rope and comes down with... Well, his... he throws a chair in first, and then the ref, as the ref is getting it, then he then he goes to the top rope. Yep. Ref clears the chair, but Orndorff climbs to the top rope, and he does his own style of elbow drop from the top. But he lands on his feet and hits an opponent who's standing, as opposed to... One, two, three, dig it. So yeah, anyway, but I mean, this is an awesome, it's not a finisher. And Piper does the the totally like he's out on his feet, like the rubber legs. (laughs) Oh yeah, Piper is fabulous at selling when he wants to. And um, Either before or after that, there's a point where Piper uses an eye gouge to get an advantage, and then he gets a front face lock. Yeah, and slows thing down around the, I think around the eye poke. They yeah. slow it down just a bit. But but then he does a move that we are definitely not expecting to see. <laughs> yeah, it's a weird DDT, but Orndorff follows through and ends up sort of like landing on his back. Yeah, he flips like it's a suplex or something. Yeah. And it doesn't finish him or even particularly sell as a, you know... Maybe- Jesse and McMahon don't even, like, reference it. They don't even, like, acknowledge the fact that it happened, maybe just because they're not sure what to call it. Uh, McMahon keeps on saying, Heenan's not going to pay. That's all he ever wants to talk about in this match. <laughs> and, yeah, so that weird DDT just comes and goes. Yeah, there's a, you know, it's so strange that, you know, Adonis was doing some something like a DDT, you know, in 85. Here's Piper doing something like a DDT in 85. But, like, you know, it doesn't doesn't really come to the forefront until 86 when Jake shows up. But, yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> the match is great, but before very long, somebody does a crossbody press. Yeah, Paul, Paul Orndorff, yeah, comes off the ropes and dives at Piper. Yeah, a crossbody block. Yeah. And uh, it hits Piper against the ropes, and they spill out over the top rope and start brawling on the outside. And then in some unique sort of staging, they brawl underneath the announcer's table because, yeah, they're on an elevated platform. I've never seen anything like this in wrestling ever at any other time. But, yeah, like McMahon and Jesse are on this, like, like raised platform that Piper and Orndorff crawl underneath and fight underneath. Yeah, and once they're on the other side and they stand up again, now you can only see them from the shoulders down. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. These two headless wrestlers are... And there is a funny moment where... 
and it took us a couple of viewings to figure it out, but there's this really loud noise where the, the camera's on Jesse McMahon, and they're kind of looking confused like they don't know where the wrestlers are, and then you hear this big bang, but what you realize is that one of the two men grabbed a milk crate while they were under there, and I guess chucked it at some point, and it made that noise. Hit a microphone or something. Yeah. The other funny thing is that without <laughs> knowing who's who, you see somebody clobber the ref and that's you think right. it's Piper because they're both wearing blue trunks. But then I'm like, wait, no, that's the stitching. Yeah, that's, that's wonderful. Clobbers right. the ref. <laughs> Punch them right in the face. Yeah. And, uh, but it's, it's really funny just to see all these cause, because you still have the camera angle that's, you know, got the top clipped off by the announcement platform. Yeah. So uh, they. Switch cameras, another camera starts running from somewhere because he approaches <laughs> Piper and Orndorff in the dressing room area. Well, they're not in, in the, the dressing hallway, room, yeah. the hallways, approaching the dressing rooms. So they're backstage, and yeah, another cameraman makes it there quickly to catch them from a different angle, <laughs> and uh, Piper retreats, and he's hiding in dressing room six. Yeah, that's right. He's got the door closed, and Orndorff's got one arm in, and eventually yeah. has to pull his arm out, and he's banging on the door, trying yeah. to break it down to get in. Yeah, but then I think I, he realizes, <laughs> oh shit, like, if I actually bust the hinges off, I'm going to have to take that come off my check. That's right. I don't want to do that. <laughs> I'm not paying for that door, Piper. <laughs> You're paying for the door, Piper. <laughs> and so Orndorff goes to a different dressing room where we see a mysterious shadowy figure. <laughs> it's so weird. Yeah, you never figure out who it is for sure. And the door closes and that's the end of the segment. But yeah, Jeff and I are just like, who's this mystery man? Yeah. And this match was so awesome. And it really shows that Piper is so key to their storytelling at this point. And, and they, they lean on him heavily. Because he's not even done yet for the episode. Yeah, yeah. So one of the interesting things as we, you know, move towards this wedding is that something I came across in the information when I was looking up stuff for Uncle Elmer was that this is actually his wife. He actually gets married. Well, they allude to the fact that there had been a nationally televised wedding in the past. And since this is the early mid 80s, then uh, you lead, it leads you to think that it was something that happened in the 60s. And indeed, Tiny Tim really got married in the 60s and it drew, uh, or was it 70s? I don't Whichever, know. Whichever, yeah. Yeah. But it drew huge attention. And so did this televised wedding. And so it wasn't fake. It was a shoot wedding. That's right. <laughs> That's right. So yeah. So as annoyed as you may be that this is on the show, at least it was for a good reason. So they're gonna go to commercial, and when we come back, we're gonna see a wedding. All the way back. Orndorff still going. Piper trying to get that dressing room. Orndorff trying to get in now. Behind him. Piper got the door shut. So, a wedding. We'll see more weddings in wrestling's future, but uh, Uncle Elmer is going to actually get married to his sweetheart. I, I all this time thought she would maybe just be an actress, but Corey has just confirmed that this was real, and they uh, successfully got lots of attention to the show. It's like rock and roll is out. Weddings are in. <laughs> romance is in. <laughs> yeah. Anti-Russia and romance is in. So um, that's actually kind of endearing uh, yeah. because uh, 
you know, just he was really getting married. Okay, so now I'm not so hard on it. I, I tended to think this was a big dumb waste of time. Like yeah, I yeah. wanted more wrestling, of course. Right, of as, course yeah. as little kids, like these bits, like you had the Mother's Day party last time, which actually turned out to be really funny. Yeah, and uh, there are a couple laughs here. Yes, uh, at yeah. the time I wasn't into it at all. No, uh, but uh, even my memories are that Jesse was vicious. Yes. You know, and it almost seemed like this is. Uh, we discussed how Jesse still had some in the ring appearances um maybe at house shows and that kind of stuff but yeah. uh not really on saturday night's main event but um it almost looks like uh they're trying to get some heat between jesse oh, and oh, the abilities oh, yeah they are. so <laughs> and it's coming yeah it's coming that's right uh so you can you can see that happening here so you've got andre and Hogan are on either side of this uh, set of stairs that are put beside the ring so that Joyce, who's a, a nice-looking lady, I guess that should have been one of the tips they that it was like real. They a, a proper steps, and so she, she yeah. didn't have to go up those like little right. ring steps. Yeah, and then you've got Andre and Hogan on either side kind of holding the ropes open for her so she yeah. can get in with her nice dress and her wedding train. Yeah. Pretty you know, impressive to have yeah. Hogan and Andre on either side. Yeah, almost like the first image we get as they come back from commercial into this is uh, is Mean Gene. Oh, yeah. He's playing the keyboards. Yeah. And uh, they've actually deliberately got wrong chords playing. Yeah, and yeah. They've got kinda, errors. Yeah, the wrong notes. <laughs> yeah, on purpose for the comedy. Yeah. And then there are the guests, the, the, the best man, presumably, Hillbilly Jim. That's right. You've also got Captain Lou in the tuxedo yeah. in the ring and Cousin... Whichever cousin he is, cousin Luke, I guess, you know. <laughs> and they go ahead and there is a uh, a lot of uh dialogue or you rather the minister or the priest or whatever. I mean he he pretty much it was, just it was cousin his... Junior, actually. <laughs> that's cousin Junior? Yeah, that's cousin Junior, yeah. Okay. So the official says a bunch of shit and yep. poor Elmer can barely hear him. So though uh, and the guy is just, you know, obviously really nervous. So there's a couple of good laughs where he actually says, I can't hear you and yeah. Or he can't He's, really quite get his lines out. Yeah, really stammering through his uh, attempts to copy what the minister or whatever is saying. Poor Joyce takes a crumpled up paper cup or something. It's weightless, but, you know, shocking. Yeah, <laughs> it still. <laughs> it does a strange kind of like, sometimes you see it in hockey where the puck goes straight up and then you don't see it for two or three seconds and it comes right back down on the same, you know, <laughs> way it went up. She takes a double shot. Yeah, the double shot. <laughs> Uncle Elmer's got a hilarious look on his face when the paper cup hits. He just, roll. <laughs> his, eye, his eyes go big as beach balls. Yeah. But she's not hurt, thankfully. Just a little alarmed. Yeah, Poor probably lady. probably a little embarrassed her. Yeah. yeah. Little... Actually, she handles it perfectly, yeah, actually. Yeah, yeah. She doesn't uh, flinch at all. Doesn't acknowledge it. Yeah. So... Kudos to her. Jesse has nonstop like trash talk. I read that like McMahon apparently told him just bury them, like because he he wants to set up this heat. So Jesse's just one after the other. But the, the, when they first came in with Mean Gene, he says that uh, Mean Gene looks like the Phantom of the Opera, and he plays like him too because he's hitting all those wrong notes. Yeah, and well, Mean Gene's really hamming it up and making these weird yeah. kind of supervillain faces. Super villain yeah. faces. <laughs> it's pretty funny. And at one point, you cut to him, and it looks like people are throwing stuff, stuff at his at keyboard. Too, yeah. yeah, there's he's, things he's bouncing off, but not like the badly. Ice or something, yeah. Yeah, like... a little bit. He doesn't react. Yeah. So they get through the, uh, you know, it's pretty awkward, I gotta say. Like, I'm like good for them, uh, yeah. but not my favorite, really. Yeah. Uh, this whole wedding reception. Yeah, they're really and, just setting up this one moment at the yeah, end, you know, yeah. like to... And so, I mean, once again, the star of the show is Winnipeg's own 
Rowdy, Rowdy Piper. <laughs> I object, I object. There's no room for a wedding and a wrestling match. And a, you're a piece of garbage. And you stink. He stinks. Everybody stinks. <laughs> and finally, Hogan steps out. Yeah. Oh, clobber you. Yeah. And, and, Hogan and, totally goes that. It's, oh, it's great. Yeah. Oh, my, this is like Piper's just the best, man. He's so good. So, and, you know, so, yeah, it's, it's, you was. Tune in next week because this is the beginning of a new angle. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of good fun stuff to come with Ventura and yeah. Piper and Hillbillies. Yeah, that's right. And thankfully, the wedding reception, uh, well, no, the wedding, what do you call the actual wedding part? Ceremony? Yeah. Thank you. Ceremony. Yeah. Okay. So the wary, wedding ceremony section was a bit tedious until Piper showed up, and then yeah, it was yeah. great. Well, it's that classic thing of Elmer looking and pointing of like, you know, and then you can see yeah. Hogan and Andre there, and that's like, you know, that's something that played on TV for years and years and years <laughs> after afterwards, you know, like that's the moment that everyone remembers from this whole yeah. thing. So tedious start, but fantastic finish. <laughs> when he has them, when the, the kiss the bride the moment, uh, <laughs> Jesse gets in there with... Looks look, like there's... Two carp going for the same piece of corn. That's right. <laughs> In the Mississippi River. Yeah. yeah. He's got to do it twice. Yeah. Oh, come on, Jesse. Yeah. yeah. McMahon, the guy who's telling him to say all this stuff, is constantly admonishing Jesse for, you know, and he's laughing. Like, when the cup hits Joyce, Jesse just lets out this big belly laugh. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> so we go from there to they show the uh, they show the reception area, which is set up like we saw it in the intro. It looks like a barn. They've yeah, yeah, the hail bales and yeah, and there's there's little piggies one run, running around. Yeah, and <laughs> Jesse has a lot of fun with that. Like, looks like the guests are already arriving. <laughs> That's right. A bunch of pigs. Little, yeah, actually, yeah. they're pretty cute little pigs. They so. are totally uh, little yeah. piglets. Yeah. Oh wait, Roddy Piper. So we go from there to Heenan, Bundy, and Stutter somehow with Mean Gene. Uh, Gene must have had to run from his little position there to get back into position to do his uh, to do his interview. And b- basically, the interview is you know Stud saying they're the real giants, not Andre, and you know that's that's you know Stud and Bundy are the real dr- true giants of wrestling. And of course, he calls him Andrea, which I said is you know something that Andre does not like. But now wait, Corey, you're missing some comedy gold from what? Bobby the Brain. Oh yeah, Mean Gene. Looks around, he's like, gentlemen, Bundy, Stud, Bobby Heenan, now wasn't that a moving ceremony there, <laughs> Uncle Elmer's wedding? And without missing a beat, Bobby Heenan says, I'll tell you what moved in a minute. Now, listen here, Mean Gene. <laughs> Best insult ever. <laughs> when you can make a when you can make a toilet humor joke but keep it clean, yeah, that's, that's right. pretty clever. <laughs> you don't have to say it, but you yeah, said it. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was fucking hilarious. Um, and uh Heenan proceeds to insult Okerland's organ playing. <laughs> All right, with me at this time, King Kong Bundy, Big John Studd, and Bobby Heenan. Gentlemen, you just couldn't help but be moved by that beautiful wedding ceremony. I'll tell you what moved in just a minute. But first of all, I'd like to ask you something, old piano keys. Tell me what you were doing beating on that organ like that. Hey, wait a minute. I asked the questions here. Well, I bet you they are the biggest tag team, <laughs> Studd and Bundy, right? Like, who <laughs> else is going to weigh pretty more? Pretty much. I mean, there might have been something that we 
haven't thought of, but yeah, I I would imagine maybe Andre and Haku together, but I I'm thinking that uh, this is the pound for pound the biggest tag team, you yeah. know. Probably. It, Probably. It's got to be, if not, it's not the biggest. It's got to be right in line with the biggest. Yeah. So possibly Andre was tagged with somebody big enough that it could have, you know, outweighed them, you know, because studs about usually listed at 340 or 330. So I could see a couple of 400 pounders, you know, kind of maybe put, being put together or Andre with somebody who outweighs um or right. close enough, those close been, enough to... Yeah, but they had a good run, yes. Stud and Bundy. Like, they were a, a, like a, a nice duo for a good year or more. You know, even though they would still do singles matches, they were always there yeah. to just, like, up the stakes when Stud and Bundy were your opponent's wow. Yeah, it's, that's it's right. just yeah. really exciting <laughs> stuff. You're in for a tough ride. So they remind back to the uh, cutting Andre's hair. You know, they're playing back all that stuff. Uh, so when we come back from commercials, we got the heels are in the ring. We're getting a nice entrance for Andre, Albano, and Atlas. And uh, the camera always did a nice job of showing how big Andre is by kind of coming in from behind him in a bit of a lower angle and kind of looking up to the massive humanity that he was. And at this point, they play the highlights of the Toronto incident we talked about in the first half where they injured Andre Sternum because they really, you know, pulling back to that and how this is setting up this match. And uh, I really love <laughs> when you see that highlight of Bundy doing multiple splashes. Gorilla Monsoon's on the call for that that bit. And you hear him say, uh, come on, ref, do something even if it's wrong. <laughs> like, you know, what is he going to do? <laughs> you know, there was a, a buddy of mine who said that he actually got to attend a card uh, where they didn't have the normal precautions of keeping fans away from the ring. So right. he was a, a youngster, and he said that a bunch of young people were able to get ringside, and some of them had their hands oh boy yeah and i think he said at one point he was like i almost got stepped on by under the giant (laughs) lose your hand with some fingers (laughs) yikes yeah so we we start off with the you know bundy and andre in the ring and uh right away andre shows his elite skill his black belt in choking because he just reaches out with his left hand grabs bundy by the throat pushes him up against the ropes and then with his other hand takes bundy's shoulder strap and wraps it around his neck and this is a common thing throughout the match andre is just choking the life out of him like throughout the match he will have points deducted for that. <laughs> That's right. That's illegal. <laughs> so there's lots of chops and stuff. There's a really bizarre moment in the match where he forces them back into. He forces. I think it's Bundy. He forces Bundy back into the corner, and then all of a sudden he grabs his partner Tony Atlas, almost as if he was would do to another opponent. And he's got Bundy under one armpit and Atlas under the other, and then he does a double noggin knocker. But the idea being that Tony Atlas's head is so hard, his headbutts that you know Bundy takes the damage and Atlas is fine. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, there are certain standard. Hard heads out there that I don't know that we would any longer want to sell the angle of, uh, you know, African-Americans having heads so hard their weapons, (laughs) basically JYD and Tony Atlas and the Samoans. And if you weren't a white guy, you could use your head as a weapon. It was weird. So poor Tony Atlas, this is, you know, clearly at the end of the run for, for him in this sort of era of WWF. And we wanted to highlight something in the first half, but, you know, he just wasn't in any important televised. There was a couple squash matches. The best one I could find was he beat Matt Bourne, but I couldn't even find a clip of that one. I couldn't get the video for that one. So unfortunately, you know, Tony Atlas is, has a really important history in wrestling and has, you know, really big accomplishments. But at this point, he's really just, I guess, being phased out. And uh, he's sort of a bit player in this match. You know, he's not really, like, too key to the whole thing. 
But, uh, you know, he, he gets in and does his stuff. Looks fantastic. One of the things he does really impressively is he does a leapfrog over John Studd. And John Studd doesn't really duck all that much. Like, it's incredible how high Tony Atlas can jump on this, like, leapfrog. And then he, you know, catches uh, Studd on the other side with the big headbutt. And, uh, you know, he does some good stuff. But at some point, he does a, he goes for a drop kick, a really awkward looking drop kick, and he misses it. And uh, so now he's down, and so Stud decides that he's going to turn around and ambush Andre, but he totally backfires. Andre just catches him coming in and just gives him a smack and a big headbutt, and it's really quite funny. It made me laugh really hard when I saw that. (laughs) Yeah, that was pretty good from the outside. Yeah, but while all that's going on, Bundy splashes Atlas. So this is sort of almost in our mind, setting up the end of the match. Like you're almost, you're kind of waiting, looking around going, which one of these isn't like the other kind of like, okay, is Atlas here to, to take a pin? Maybe, you know, like yeah, he hasn't been a part of any build. Yeah. But no, he, Andre does manage to get back in and he gets this big boot on stud, knocking him to the outside. But that's when Bundy ambushes Andre and, and, you know, knocks him down and stuff. And wh- what we see happening now is that stud is ramming Atlas into the ring post on the outside to basically eliminate him. And allow what's going to happen, which is a two-on-one. Stud's going to come back in. Andre and Bundy are fighting. Now, Stud's getting in there. I think there's a mini avalanche, not a proper avalanche. but And, and, and Stud follows up with another shoulder tackle. And and Andre's not immediately going down, but he's he's fighting back. But they're very persistent. You know, like the, the, the villains won't be uh, denied. Normally, the hero would clear house and he'd be in there and the villains would hit the bricks but no these are not your uh ham and egger villains this is stud and bundy and if stud yeah. and bundy can't you know team up to handle one guy then who can what are we doing <laughs> exactly so on it's great though so andre's fighting back against stud and bundy but you know the two of them combined are more than any one guy yeah, can handle and can should still- be they still can take him down. And, yeah, exactly. Uh, sometime during this this melee, uh, the ref does call for the bell. So it's a double. Dis- it's a disqual. Pardon me. It is a disqualification on the heels for the double team. And but you know they're they're looking to they're looking to do damage to Andre again. They want to follow up on that sternum and take him back out again. So just as things look the worst for Andre, we hear the crowd pop. And out comes Usher Deluxe. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's right. Still in his wedding ceremony attire, which yeah. is like a tuxedo shirt with the sleeves removed and a weight belt and a, you know, the Leather black... pants, I think, or something, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah, so Hogan's got the pythons. Hogan comes to the Andre's rescue, still yeah. in this, this cool little outfit. And it's, it's a throwback to our AWA days, because we got these great moments of Andre and Hogan being buddies in the AWA and, and fighting the Heenan family together. And, like, you know, I'm sure there's other examples in the WWE. But yeah, there's obviously uh, Andre. Shea Stadium. Well, well, I'm saying with them together though, not ah, not against the, like them right. being them being friends. Yeah. This yes. is you know this is like a really high profile moment of Hogan and Andre in the WWF fighting together, you know, against against the evil forces. And you know, obviously Andre was in the locker room pouring champagne on Hogan's head as he won his title. But I mean, I'm not sure if we laid it all out and went and looked at how many. There's not a lot of occurrences outside of house shows and things that weren't necessarily on TV. But this is like probably one of the most high profile moments we get of like. You know that that Hogan Andre like super team. <laughs> yeah, like really, really exciting Hogan and Andre against Stud and Bundy. Like yeah. they're in the ring together. Like and well, we're setting up the next Saturday night's main event. That's right. So you know, once Hogan gets in there and blasts both the villains, Andre starts hitting them. Atlas is back in the ring, but he never really gets involved again. The the heels retreat, rightfully so. And we go to commercial. And when we come back in, it's an in ring interview with Mean Gene. 
Hogan and Andre. Atlas is kind of standing around like a dummy because he doesn't really have any part to play. But uh, you know, basically, the the you know the whole point of this is that Hogan wants he wants they want revenge. They want they want their hands on Stud and Bundy. They want the tag match that everyone's dreaming of. Andre and Hogan versus Stud and Bundy. Well, here's what I'm dreaming of. I want to see Andre Hogan get interviewed by Killer Cal Rudman. <laughs> That's what I want. Yeah, that would be pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> they may need to get a stepladder for Killer Cal. Yeah. Oh, that would be hilarious <laughs> to see him between those two guys. Yeah. So um, after that, there is a segment. We're not going to spend too much time on it, but there's an update they've pre-filmed, and it's Mean Gene Okerlund out in the jungles, not really, <laughs> looking for George the Animal Steel. Now, this is something that like they played on syndicated TV. I'm positive it was on a Coliseum tape. I've seen it so many times. It's uh, Jungle Gene <laughs> reporting from wherever, getting out of a Jeep, looking for George Steele. Do you have any... Uh... Well, yeah. Well, he's, he's gone to the zoo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Are we still in Philadelphia? I, I don't know where this has been filmed. I mean, this uh, is in I mean, New Jersey, like this oh, event. Jer- yeah. Oh, this is in yeah, New yeah. Jersey? This, okay. this main event, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's great. He's got the safari gear. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, George is in full wrestling attire. That's right. And he, we eventually find him behind a bush. That's right. Oh, George. Oh, George. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, our new baby face George the Animal Steel is getting in touch with the animals at the zoo. Yeah. And as we said, he's got a limited vocabulary, so we get a few jokes. I think he goes to the hippo, and George says, Bundy! That's right, yeah. He he points at different animals and makes references to, to wrestlers. And I think they even superimpose the faces of the wrestlers over top of the animals. Like, it's really cheesy. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a silly bit, but... Yeah. Um, I now, once again, have a newfound appreciation for the the comedy goal of uh, George the Animal Steel. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So uh, that leaves the last main thing on this card that's going to happen is a tag team title defense of, uh, f- you know, fairly new tag team champions, the Dream Team, so Greg Valentine and Brutus Beefcake, defending their titles against a not-super-impressive team of a uh, recently added Lanny Poffo to the, to the, you know, to the Federation. And Tony Gurria, the five-time tag team champion. But in this era, he's kind of like, you know, jobber deluxe. <laughs> he's not exactly going to be winning any titles around this time. I had 100% forgotten this match. Yeah. And I also called it wrong. You know, looking at it, yeah. I thought, oh, I know what's going to happen. Right. Um, so a bit of a letdown to not give us a, a better, better challengers. Well, especially given that we already had the, you know, the... The El- Uncle Elmer match had already sort of given us a jobber match, so yeah. we kind of... Well, the other thing to mention, of course, is that the recent champions oh, yeah. are ringside, yeah. and uh, they show the clip of title exchange yes. with the cigar in the eye, and so there's Barry Windham with his pirate eye patch <laughs> at right. ringside. Yeah, yeah. So uh, they're ringside, uh, Rotundo and Windham are yeah. in their street clothes yes. watching the match, and they're still selling that uh, Windham is blinded, or at least in one eye. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, they, um, you know, the match is kind of, you know, expect what it's going to be. But Poffo does a lot better than I thought. <laughs> he does. He does. Yeah. Actually, you know, there is, there good. is, a, there is a actually pre-match interview with Beefcake Valentine and, and Valiant. And I don't think Beefcake has much to say, but, um. He looks awesome. <laughs> but Valentine basically just says that, you know, they're the champs and they'll take on anyone. 
and uh, you know the, the the usual shtick. They would always similar to Blassie pretending like what cane? If you said the cane, then the same thing is like you know because Valiant's playing it up. He's lighting the cigar. He's smoking the cigar during the interview to like you know sort of play up the idea of like here's yep. the weapon we just used. Yes, and uh, all that stuff. So they go to commercial from that interview. They come back as Jeff says like Poffo gets to look pretty good in it. He does. They don't completely squash him out, but Valentine starts vicious on him. Valentine's all over him to begin with, beating him up pretty good. Lots of several blows, you know, his elbows and forearm smashes and stuff like that. But uh, there's one point where he's got Puffo down on a, like a headlock, a side headlock on the ground, and Lanny Puffo does this really kind of unique handstand out of this to like get himself out of the out of the hold. And and then that's when we that's around the time that they give us that really good shot of the U.S. Express showing ringside, you know, as Jeff said, and. Poffo has some like you know some pretty good offense like you know he's 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 getting in some moves he's getting in some drop kicks very very acrobatic yeah and he's escaping some of their double teaming they're trying to double team him and he's actually like he's countering some of it and getting away from it and he does like a very early version of a moonsault yeah I, yeah. I was really pleased to see Lanny Poffo looking so good yeah so Poffo dies nowhere to get a tag. nowhere nowhere but downhill from here actually wait a minute that's not true well, yeah, he's going to go on run is kind of yeah <laughs> he's going on to take out Hogan that's right he's going to do something on Saturday's main event that basically nobody else could do that's right so he does this big dive to try and get to the ring cuz again he's getting some good stuff in but he's also taking punishment but uh he's he's not able to make the tag at that point and he's taking more beatings and finally Gria gets the hot tag and they do give Gria like about 30 40 seconds of like he comes in on fire and hip toss and, you know, this and drop kick and he's sending them all around and it looks like Jeff McMahon's trying to get excited, like, there's going to be a title change and, you know, it's like, we know there's not. I remember watching an interview with Gurria in the 70s when he was uh, still uh, a big part of their booking and the rep, the interviewer guy was kind of pulling almost a Cal Rebney. He was like, well, geez, Tony, uh, if this doesn't work out, what's it going to be? Ho- Hollywood? Modeling? Uh, what, what are you going to do? And he's like, oh, well, you know. <laughs> Yeah, so after getting a two count, he does, you know, finally the heels get the advantage again, and it's not long before he's down on the ground and Valentine locks on the figure four, and it's pretty quick. It's a submission, and the bad guys win. Clean. That's right, yeah. Not not as much cheating as you would think. No. So, um, boy, do we ever have a lot of good times ahead when it comes to the Dream Team. Yeah. They're just going to be, you know, they're going to be foils to Corey's favorite thing about That's wrestling. Right. <laughs> That's right. And, you know, we're looking forward to that. I, I, So this, comparatively, really is more like build. You yeah, know? yeah. And not only that, it's build to something that doesn't happen. I also think that it's like, you know, they weren't ready, let's say, to put the Bulldogs in the ring here with them at this point. And they didn't, again, they just, they don't have a ton of tag teams. They right. really don't, like, well, in I don't this wanna, era. Yeah, I, I think we're still about to talk about Barry Wyndham. Because yeah. we mentioned him, he's at yeah. ringside. Yeah, but uh, we'll get yeah. to that. Like yeah, after, they, after it wasn't we finished... a, it wasn't a rematch with the U.S. Express. They don't want to jo- job out the. What's that? It doesn't. Oh, I'm sure there's rematches. They just you but know. it's not on Saturday night's main no, event. No, definitely not. No, no, no. no. So, uh, in other words, the angle as far as this TV series, yes, you know, is, is done. You know, they're at ringside, but we don't. Uh, I guess what? It's just Wyndham's gone too quickly for them to do anything else. Perhaps, yeah. I would have but, to go look at the host show results. But, but I mean, then the Spivey takes over. Not immediately. There's some time in between. Like, I see. Rotundo actually leaves at the same time as, as Barry Wyndham, and they end up in the AWA briefly, and then they, they go their separate ways, and Rotundo comes back to the WWF, and that's when they team him up with Dan Spivey. Ah, it's and quickly enough for me. I didn't realize. Exactly, yeah. I mean, like, 
obviously yeah. last week yeah. I'm talking about like you know I got them confused at the point where I thought they were all there at the same time so it's that it's it's a pretty quick turnaround Dan and, Spivey, and technically the, the US, replacer yeah and they do refer to them as the American Express which is kind of funny because it's like credit card <laughs> <laughs> as opposed to the US Express but everyone just says like US Express too but it's like the American Express don't leave home without it <laughs> and don't use it 20% what the hell's the matter with you people don't spend so much money that's right so, the wedding reception. <laughs> Orndorps in his street clothes, you know, a nice uh, looking suit, not uh, exactly a tuxedo, but he's uh, well dressed and Hogan's still in his super usher outfit. That's right, yeah. And um, they're sitting at a table, uh, first without Jesse, but when they cut back, Jesse is uh, there. And, and Vince, yeah. And Vince, yeah. And uh, Jesse's muttering and playing the perfect, you know, like, this is lousy. Look at this fool. He's pigs running around. I can't believe this. And he says something that works both kayfabe and shoot. He's like, if it weren't for my contract, I wouldn't even be here. <laughs> and then as Vince does his thing, Jesse keeps the, like, no good, rotten, lousy. It's a bit distracting at yeah. one point, but it is funny. Yeah. Two conversations at once. Yeah, exactly. And, you know. Um, <laughs> So Vince says, what do you think, Hulk, sir? He says, oh, nice, what a nice wedding, you know, and same with Orndorff. Oh, yeah, that was a real nice wedding. And um, it, so that's great. Um, and then Gene is talking to Lou Albano with Cousin Junior, and Albano's giving him a chicken-eating lesson. That's lesson. right. And I, I got to say, like, I want some fried chicken <laughs> after watching these big plates like mm, I want some give me that anyway it's it's that's we move on I like, it. I like it when earlier when Hogan referred to Vince as vicious Vince <laughs> yeah um behind closed doors that's, that's right. you know, what could be what could be more true let me move on to Lanny Poffo yep. like again it's, it's it seems like uh that there are better things Ahead for Lanny Poffo on this card because he looked good in the tag team match and now he gets to recite a poem and he's got this deep, rich, baritone voice and his shiny face. Yeah, yeah. And, um, anyway, so it's it's fine. Um, <laughs> but uh, but greater things are not really ahead for Lanny Poffo. Well, we already said, I guess, that you know yeah. that could be uh, certainly a terrible haircut <laughs> he's got ahead of him. After Poffo has a poem, Hillbilly Jim says a few words. Well, G- Gene clinks the glass to bring everyone's attention for Hillbilly Jim, but he, oh, does he? he, he breaks the glass. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, it does look like they're drinking real beer. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Steve Austin would approve. That's right. <laughs> One beer, two beer, three beers, enchilada. A dog. That's right. Piece of chicken, another beer. Okay, so after Hillbilly Jim says his thing, yeah. uh, uh, I think this is now where Jesse... Well, actually, they bring out Tiny Tim. Oh, yeah. God, is this weird. Uh, apparently, a big thing once upon a time was a live televised wedding where Tiny Tim married his partner at the time, and it was a gimmick stunt that drew a lot of ratings. Yeah, big, and big ratings. the ratings... It, this. this the stunt worked again for McMahon. So That's he right. thought, let's drag Tiny Tim out. That's right. And he comes out in this weird... Um suit that's got balloons sewn onto it. I mean, like, oh, as in the design is balloons. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Really colorful, but, like, he, he's a very outlandish-looking fellow. Yeah. This weird, you know, anyway, uh, I don't dislike him, but yeah. I'm not particularly... Out of place for wrestling. Yeah, really forced. He gives a silly 30 to 60-second speech for... There's no reason for him to be there. But anyway, so he gives a ukulele to Uncle Uncle Elmer. Yeah. He's famous for a song, Tiptoe Through the Tulips, and singing yeah. it in a weird kind of shrill... That's right. ...and discomforting way. <laughs> so 
Thankfully, he gets off the camera before too long. And then Jesse reads his poem that I wrote for these hillbillies here. (laughs) And uh, starts off really nice. That's right. But soon it gets pretty insulting. (laughs) And when he's finally pulled all his low blows and cheap shots, our new super team, well, we got Hogan and Andre as a super team. But the buddies, Hogan and Orndorff, object to Jesse's rude behavior. So they stand up and start taking, Orndorff's taking off his coat, and Jesse's like, Oh, oh, I'm out of here, man. <laughs> and as he makes his exit, Hillbilly Jim trips him, and he face plants into the cake, just like the Mother's Day section yeah. from yeah, last episode. We're, we're two for two for Saturday Night events, and people falling into cakes. <laughs> but this one looks like a real cake, as opposed to the sponge that they used <laughs> last time. That's right. And uh, so Jesse's sitting there, looking like a wet hen, covered in cake and icing, and everybody's laughing at him. <laughs> Pretty much the same finish as we had. You yeah, know. yeah. So that's right, two for two. Yeah, the other, the only other really significant thing is they confirm that one month, four weeks from today, there's going to be another Saturday Night's Main event, and that match, Hogan and Andre, that match, Hogan and Andre, is confirmed for the next Saturday Night's Main event. Against Stud and Bundy. Yeah. So that's going to wrap us up on the episode, and they're going to they're gonna take us out the way they always do, with the highlights, the music, we'll hear it all, and uh, that'll be the end of Saturday Night's Main event. Edition number two. <laughs> no, not Marlon Perkins. Hi, everybody. This is Jungle Gene Okerlund. Now we're going to do a quick section, not too long. What if? So unlike normal, we're not going to look at a card or trying to change fantasy booking, but just a general thing. One of our favorite wrestlers is Barry Windham. And this time period really represents the end of his important run in the WWF. He makes some you know, returns later in his career. They don't go very well. But my what-if question I'm going to pose to Jeff is sort of just a fun fantasy thing is, what if there wasn't a Hulk Hogan or they needed somebody else or they didn't get Hulk Hogan? And what if Barry Windham was someone that Vince McMahon got behind and pushed, I'm not going to say for four years, but let's even just say a couple of years, if Barry Windham... I think could have been a perfect babyface world champion in the WWF around this time period. And I think he had the skills, the, the babyface skills, the comebacks. He could sell super awesome. He looked great. And he was big enough that he could fight the big guys, but he also wasn't, you know, he wasn't oversized like some of these men were. What a nice thing that would have been. Yeah, I would have enjoyed that to see Barry Windham to be uh, the top guy. Too bad that it didn't go that way. It's it's a very nice what if he had all the tools. And yeah. I'd say he's better in the ring than Hogan oh, by definitely. far. Absolutely. Yeah. I think far. the matches, when I think about Barry Windham and Roddy Piper, Barry Windham and the pre, you know, pre this villain, Paul Orndorff, you know, that would have been great. Barry Windham and Macho Man Randy Savage. Oh, yeah. Amazing. Well, uh, we will get to see Barry Windham wrestle the best of the best. Absolutely. Yeah. It's not to say that he doesn't have a great career. I just think, and a lot of people will say that he didn't have the personality that maybe of the drive, like he kind of almost put a ceiling on himself because of the way he wanted, you know, the the way he ran his life and his, his business. And he wasn't quite as serious about it as some of the other guys were. And that maybe had he pushed himself a bit differently, had a different mindset, more of the politics, the whatever it might've been. You know, he wasn't a gym rat, right? He was a natural athlete. So he had this look for many years, but as you start to get into the latest of the eighties and in the early nineties, he starts to not look quite as fit as other guys because he's, he's not out there doing reps all the time. He just kind of, he always got away with being a great natural athlete 
and uh, you know he just had that great tall lanky body and you know he could do anything. They say that there's a match, an NWA title defense by Ric Flair when Barry Windham is in Florida, and it's a televised match that takes up essentially an entire one-hour episode. And people, well, many, like Dave Meltzer and people like that will call it the greatest hour of televised wrestling ever is this, you know, Barry Windham-Ric Flair match. And Ric Flair has called Barry Windham, like, the greatest, you know, the greatest opponent he, you know, he ever had. Like, he, he, he says, like, the Steamboat matches are more important, and his feud with Sting was more important. But as far as just like the ability in the ring, you know, nobody could touch Barry Windham when he was at his peak. That's awesome. We love him. And it's too bad that he didn't get to win the belts back from the dream team with Rotundo. That's right. Um, it's all over a bit quickly. Yeah. So it would have been much better if Barry Windham had uh, could have extended his run just a little bit longer here in this era. Yeah. of. You almost don't want to take away the great things that happened in the NWA in Florida and stuff like that. So, but if you could have like, double universe or something <laughs> split yeah. him off different careers yeah well i mean i don't i guess we'll get down there but uh he they they uh they were gonna put the belt on him they were gonna make him yeah. you know rick flair's conqueror you know yeah. and, and things didn't work out unfortunately that way yeah we'll definitely Too bad definitely touch on that when we get there but yeah i think that, that there was a lot of things that could have happened for him that didn't so if you've got opinions on that if you have other thoughts about what could have happened with those, you know, those previous cards we talked about, the WrestleMania card, this Barry Windham stuff. Email us at legendarywrestlingobsession at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your stories about going to cards, your connection to Saturday Night's main event, things that, whether it's happened already, we've, or even if we've already done a show on something, feel free to still send in information about that stuff. We'll go back to it. We'd love to incorporate it into our show. So next week is something different. Corey, why don't you tell everybody what we've prepared for our third episode? Yeah, so we're going to step away for a moment, and we're going to, you know, we'll get back really quickly on the Saturday Night's Main Event trail, but we've already recorded basically the history of our watching AWA wrestling in Winnipeg and what really made us fans and how we got up to the point where we got to watching WWF. So we're going to have an episode with basically talking about late 70s, early 80s, AWA, Birth of Hulkamania, the High Flyers, Road Warriors, all this great stuff. And so it was such a long show, we broke it into three parts. And some of that content will be on our bonus channel on Patreon. So if you would be so inclined, check out Legendary Wrestling Obsession at Patreon. And you can find us there. And if you could support us, we would really appreciate it because it would help our show go a lot further. Yes, and thank you for listening so far. We'll see you next week. Arriba! Arriba!